0: You're listening to The Fully Occupied Show, presented by Occupier.
1: Hey everyone, Matt from Occupier here. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to another episode of The Fully Occupied Podcast. If you enjoy the show, make sure you subscribe on your favorite listening platform. Or just shoot us a note at marketing at occupier.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on future guests, topics you'd like to hear about. Ask us any questions you have or just say hi. Enjoy the show. Natalie, welcome to the Fully Occupied show. Thanks for joining us.
2: Heck yeah. How's it going?
1: It's going great. It's going great. Occupier uh, is sponsoring CREI Summit coming up um, in beautiful Lake Tahoe. Which we're excited about attending. Are um, you going personally? Yeah, I'll be there. Oh my
2: god! Yes, are yeah, you we, bringing your wifey? Uh, well, that's, I hope you do. I hope you do. Everyone's the bringing their SOs. To
1: oh.
2: and we're gonna have a comedian there. You know, that was an option. Like a whiskey company. I mean, there's gonna be some stuff going down.
1: That's so. my kind of conference. Um, yeah, my we're idea. excited about it. Yeah. But what I want to know is like how, how how did that come together? How did that start? What what are yeah. you looking forward to with it?
2: Okay, I'll make it short and sweet because I'm sure you're like this lady is so long winded. um I get excited about shit that I'm passionate about, so I appreciate you bearing with me. So that is evident. You what?
1: I said that is evident, and I love it. <laughs>
2: I <laughs> uh, okay, so CREI Summit, um, it's founded by Coy Davidson, I mean, uh, Ken Ashley. So he's over at Cushman and Wakefield. And he, yep. obviously, he and I became really close when I was at Cushman and Wakefield. And you, he runs the tag division, tenant um, the tenant rep division. And um, he does this list. Have you heard of it? CREI list, right? It's like the most influential people um, for Twitter and LinkedIn, and I was number one for Twitter. Thank you. This is like me bragging. I'm like, oh my god, I'm so great. But um, and then I was number four for LinkedIn. And all these people made this list. And Coy Davidson from Colliers, he's fucking, he's like effing famous in my industry. Um, he got tipsy one night, and he was like, "We should all get <laughs> together." Well, that turned into everyone being like, "Oh my god, we really should." And then um, this happened. And so we're all kind of like, this is really going to happen. And we put together a conference in Tahoe and it's at the Ritz-Carlton. So we decided like, we're going to do this baller style. Um, SIOR is sponsoring, which just means a lot to me because Robert Thornburg is, is just this incredible human being. I've, have you met Robert in person?
1: Not in person yet.
2: Just wait till you meet him. Oh my God. we You guys need to like, you guys need to connect because every SAOR needs to know about your guys's technology because holy crap, I agree. Um, what you guys do is just insane. So yeah, I just, I mean, it, it ought to be like a mandatory Here, Um, it would be cool if you guys were doing that because the broker boot camp you guys would really be a good fit with the broker boot camp what you guys do just anyways okay squirrel. Um, So Robert's going to be there. Um, It's just going to be around 100 brokers that are going to be there and site selectors and um, where it's Friday all day long the agenda is going to be a couple of speakers that we're excited about but then there's also going to be networking this, you're the first person to hear this. We're going to do speed dating, um, one oh, yeah. day, now, speed dating networking style. Um, it was so much fun. I finally, like yesterday, I was like, we're doing this. So that's going to happen. Uh, we have a comedian coming in. Um, And it's just going to be, it's going to be great. It's going to be a lot of learning and best practices, but it's also 100 people that are like 75 of them are list makers. So we know what we're doing and we're just going to make each other better. And the networking and the content that's going to come out of it, you're going to have like a year's worth of content. So we're gonna have a photographer, a videographer. And so there's just gonna be a ton of opportunity to kind of do what we're doing right now and be able to like take snippets of it and use it year round and be like, hey, CREI Summit, um, this is what we did. Uh, There's gonna be a podcasting room. Uh, I'm just, I'm so excited about it. And you're just gonna be surrounded by people that dominate in their city, in their area, in their specialty. I just can't believe that we had the idea And then it all came together so incredible. Like before we had the agenda out, which is what usually people look for, not people like me, but um, a lot of people that, you know, are a little bit more organized, like we had already sold 50% capacity without an agenda. So, I mean, that's, that's, it's just going to be, it's going to be a great time. I'm really happy you're going.
1: Yeah, we're pumped. I'm excited about it.
2: Yeah, we're stoked to have you guys as um, as sponsors, and I'm excited that everyone that's going is going to get to see what you guys offer.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, we can't wait. There's there's a great synergy there. So, uh, Natalie, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute blast and pleasure having you on the show. Um, thanks for sitting on a panel with Andrew last week. He said awesome things about that, um, and we're fired up to see you in person again. And
2: Let's do it. Thank you so much. You're awesome. I can't wait to uh, share this out when it comes so people can know how absolutely batshit I am.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it's that's a, that's a good thing in my opinion.
2: Most brokers. All right, up. Natalie,
1: thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Alan, thanks for joining us for a special edition of the Fully Occupied show. Appreciate Appreciate you coming on. It's my pleasure. My pleasure. How about you uh, introduce yourself for our audience, for those who might not know who you are?
3: Well, for the three in the audience that don't know who I am, my name <laughs> is Alan Buchanan, and I am a, an industrial real estate broker in Southern California. Uh, primarily uh, work with family-owned and operated businesses that are experiencing a transition. Uh, that could be a, a succession. That could be an acquisition, a merger. Awesome. Well, so we're gonna do some quick hit questions here leading up to the CREI
1: summit. Um, Why don't you give us your take on what's changed in the industrial world uh, with the impact of COVID? Be happy to.
3: When the pandemic, when there started to be some rumblings about the pandemic that started to circle around in our world probably January, February of, of 2020, Many of the veterans in the business, including me, decided that, hey, this is probably that black swan event that no one of us, none of us saw coming and that probably is going to crater what was at the time the best employment market, the best commercial real estate market, uh, the best of a lot of things. And we were right for about 45 to 60 days. Our market did hit pause. And when I say our market, I mean the industrial real estate market hit pause for about 45 to 60 days. And then um, the industrial market caught fire like no market I've ever seen in my entire career. And people started awakening from the ether, started making deals. It was like pandemic, what pandemic? And we, we started to see the industrial market absolutely go on turbocharge, And frankly, it's not slowed at all. If anything, we've hit the accelerator in 2021 um, and it's now at heights that none of us thought possible. Many of us in the, that have been in the business a while are now starting to say, hey, this is bound to come to an end at some point, but uh, we've just experienced a 100-year pandemic. We've experienced a recession. We've experienced uh, really everything that, that should cause a bear market, and yet our stock market, our real estate market, just continue to bustle. So who knows? I'll leave that to smarter folks than I to figure yeah. out
1: I was going to ask you why but uh, you know what, what do you think are some of the key factors is it you know the ability for low cost financing is it a major shift in kind of on demand warehouse space like what are the bigger kind of factors that you think are playing into it
3: well, certainly it revolves around how we as consumers shop for goods and services these days. And with the majority of us now mind you, some of our industries were considered essential why commercial real estate was considered essential. I'll never know, but it was, <laughs> yeah. but many, of, many of the businesses uh, with which we transact industrial businesses, be the contractors, manufacturers, logistics companies, those were all deemed essential. And so consequently, they never shut down. And you look at the way in which we at home started to shop for goods and services and and they were online. Uh, I don't believe my wife and I had ever done much in the way of of Grubhub prior to the pandemic, but now we do it almost every day. You know, Grubhub delivers at least one meal to us every day. And, And that's a big change. Um, obviously, the uh, the FedEx, the UPS, the USPS, the Amazon truck pulls up to our neighborhood, you know, multiple times a day. And I, I keep saying, if you want a million dollar idea, just figure out how to do a uh, figure out how to do a, a box compactor that'll <laughs> fit in a residential backyard, and you'll make a million dollars. Because my goodness, I can't tell you how many boxes I break down. So that's all changed. And, and clearly we weren't going to the malls, we weren't going to restaurants, we weren't going to bars, we were doing all that at home. And so that fulfillment had to, be, had to take place and it's taken place in warehouses throughout the Western United States, throughout the United States for that matter, but uh, certainly throughout the Western United States. Uh, at the same time, you had uh, some real buckles in the, in the supply chain. Um, uh, it was taking, it taken a while to get goods from China. Uh, that's exacerbated in the last couple of months and who knows when that's going to get fixed, but that that created this, this enormous shortage of things. And so you've got folks buying more online. You've got a shortage of goods and, and we've seen an exponential rise in, in the cost of goods, frankly, as raw materials have become scarcer as the, uh, is the uh, supply chain has become buckled. And so that's gonna be most likely a chapter for our next conversation in terms of how we get that supply chain fixed. Do
1: you think that supply chain starts to make its way back on shore a little bit more, which would even further drive demand? Does that mean you think manufacturing and might come back on shore that could, you know, be a way to prevent something like that from happening again?
3: I certainly hope so. Um, I, I, certainly, certainly hope so. I know that was the previous administration's goal is to, is to onshore manufacturing, uh, the present administration, I don't believe has his bullish, a, an idea about manufacturing, you know, manufacturing kind of gotten a bad rap, especially in my dear state of California, because blue collar, uh, jobs, trade jobs have all, all sort of been looked down upon as opposed to jobs in tech, like, like your company or, uh, Kids coming out of school don't want to be a, an HVAC repair person. They want to be, they want to find a high-tech company and, and be, you know, do an IPO for a billion and a half dollars and not have to work ever again in their lives. So that's going to need to be corrected, but it's, it's, it's gutted our middle class in California. So I certainly hope manufacturing reshores itself. We could, we could certainly, um, frankly some, some skilled labor that understands how to run a CNC operator that understands how to run a plastic injection molding machine knows how to do, do finished carpentry work um, that would certainly help our economy a tremendous amount
1: yeah I agree 100 um, All all right final question so coming up to the CREI summit what gets you excited to uh, to meet and
3: mingle with with uh, the CRE fam up in Lake Tahoe The CRE fam, made famous by our friend, Natalie Wainwright. You know, I I think more than anything, it's going to be a a chance to actually meet in person some of these folks that I've connected with online. Uh, Natalie Wainwright and I've never met in person. Barbie Reuter and I've never met in person. A lot of the folks that will attend, Linda Day Harrison, Coy Davidson, Rod Santamassano, Howard Klein. I've had the privilege of meeting over the years through various and sundry conferences or what have you. But uh, to meet those that I haven't had the pleasure of, of actually being face-to-face, I believe that's what excites me the most. Uh, plus, my wife gets to attend w- with me this year. I Normally, I go to these things alone, but my wife's a stand-up comedian, and so she's going to be performing at the, uh, the RAA Summit. So I'm really looking forward to that as well.
1: That's going to be awesome. I did not know that. Uh, well, you get got the built-in entertainment that's traveling with you. That's, uh, that's VIP right there.
3: Absolutely. I get to live with the VIP entertainment. So tomorrow we celebrate our 42nd year of of matrimonial bliss. So uh, she makes me laugh every day of my life. That's
1: awesome. Well, Ellen, happy anniversary. Thanks for joining the show. I appreciate your thoughts. and I look forward to it. Thanks for having me on again. I really appreciate it. All right. Take care. All righty. Linda, welcome to this special edition of the Fully Occupied show. Thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited.
1: Why don't you introduce yourself for uh, for our listeners here?
0: My name is Linda Day Harrison. I have been in commercial real estate basically my whole life. I am also the founder of the brokerlist.com. We are going to be 10 years old this year. 10 wow. years old. I decade. thought of it this morning. I was like, wow, I can't believe it myself. So I'm proud of that. And That's amazing. It is amazing. And we just have, you know, just plugged along and have seen a lot of changes over 10 years, but it's been a fabulous experience building the network. It's, it's a network digital network, and we really enjoy it. And it has led us to so many things like meeting you and learning about your product and your company and you know, being involved in the CREI summit and it's just, it's just led us into so many things and I'm really proud of it. So great cool. to be here.
1: Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about the broker list. What prompted you to start it? Um, how did it kind of germinate in your head and end up in, in reality? And what, what do you guys do? All the, all the, all those things.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, it germinated in my head because I'm just like you. I was in the industry and I have had been in the industry a long time and we have evolved from pencils and erasers and, you know, fax machines and progress to emails and all these things have evolved in my career over the span of my my career and how to keep track of brokers was the number one job that I had to do because I was in downtown Chicago. It's a very, it's a small city, but it's a big city. We had to keep track of what all the brokers did, were they urban, were they suburban, were they retail, were they industrial, were they office? And it was painstaking, but we did it. We had to track them. We had to market to them because most of our deals came from brokers. I mean, basically brokers brought you clients. So Mm -hmm. the brokers in essence were a customer as well. So in order to keep track of them, we would have to either do, you know, have mailing list or Excel spreadsheets or whatever. And then LinkedIn came along and the kind of the light bulb went off in my head. And I thought, you know, this, our industry has so much redundancy going on from office to office, to office, doing the same thing, tracking the brokers, finding out who to let know about what properties, et cetera. And when LinkedIn came along, I joined it in 04. I was like, wow, this is really neat, but there was nobody on it. So, but I was getting inquiries because I was a CCIM and also a CPM at the time when I was in the industry. And I would get a lot of calls and a lot of inquiries through LinkedIn asking me, you know, do you know somebody in the Inland Empire? Do you know somebody in this market, that market? And sometimes I did not. So I thought, wow, this is kind of frustrating. If you're a client and you're looking for, a property or whatever and you're in one market you want to jump to another market now of course a lot has changed in 10 years but it was hard to do yeah and we always called what we did our broker list so there wasn't a lot of you know it wasn't difficult (laughs) to put this all together a lot of
1: magic behind the name yeah
0: (laughs) the name was not really you know that complex So I just started thinking I was really always into databases. Like my whole career, I was like, like a nerd kind of nerdy person in my company. I always did all the technology initiatives, et cetera. So I just, it just all kind of came together. And I said, you know, we need a platform for our industry, for only people in commercial real estate to be able to find each other and for people to find us because we're buried in this. 900 pound gorilla called real estate which is 95 percent single family residential and a little splash of commercial because residential just takes consumes us it just overpowers us so that's when i thought you know what would it make sense to have an online database would people want to use an online database would brokers even want to use it and from day one i was told linda you're herding cats you're wasting your time forget about it and i it you know, I, I know what they're saying. They're right. Cause 10 years ago, no one wanted to do it. No one wanted to join the broker list. I mean, really some did some of the earlier adopters and that's how we started. And we just have been this online community and blog and we do all the social media and we just basically are just trying to bring everybody together. No matter what designation, no matter what geography, no matter what size company, I'll have a JLL broker call me and say, Linda, I need a guy in no name, Indiana. Yeah. I, we don't yeah, have like, an office there. Yeah. We don't have anyone there. Can you help me? You know, and I'll say, sure. So that's what I like about the broker list. And then cool. of course it eliminates a lot of the redundancy in the industry. And we may, we do break our necks to make sure that our members are all commercial. It's hard, cause there's a lot of residential people. We do embrace the residential, but we're very cautious. They have to truly be residential. We just don't want somebody getting up in the morning, selling houses saying, I'm going to be commercial today. So that right. that won't fly with us, but yeah. we do our best. And I just, I thank everybody along the last 10 years for all the support and encouragement.
1: Yeah, well, that's great. How many members are on the broker list right now today? Right
0: now we're in the 8,500 range. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not a big number. Everyone's oh, I thought there was more. Well, I mean, you got
1: like the big firms. So if I'm CB or JLL or Cushman or one of the big ones, you, you you most likely have somebody in your, you know, company's network that you could do a deal with. But like to your point, if you have a a tenant that needs space in like the Ozarks or something, or some random place, you're going to have to, you're going to have to search somewhere for a co-broker.
0: Right but but we also we also have we do have a lot of the bigger companies on board as well but we may yep. not have their whole office we may have one broker who said hey i want exposure i want to have the chance to be found on, when there's a, a search on google and the broker list comes up and they get to the broker list i want to be in that directory so they're smart yep. most many don't think that way but the smart ones do yep. and they want to be everywhere they can and we're just another tool in the drawer and there's no cost to, to a broker to join and our companies that want to be in front of our audience advertise with us. So that's our model. It's very simple. Yep. That's and awesome. of course the listings we're a build out partner. So we we a lot of the brokers okay. that use build out are also in fact we were one of the first build out partners. One of the you know things that people love is that feature that they can do syndication
1: yeah cool well congrats on all the success 10 years is incredible um switching gears real quick um crei summit Yay. what yeah like what uh what what are you most excited about um going into the event
0: well i think i'm most excited about getting out because <laughs> it's been a long journey here with with covid and i'm hoping right. that it you know goes away but at this point we still are fighting it but I think I miss a lot of the things we were doing that we're doing over the years we you know had different events and different things we were doing with our members and at other conferences that have all been canceled so I think I'm excited about seeing people I'm excited about seeing a lot of people I already know and have met but I'm also excited about seeing people I've never met before like you I've never I don't think we met but I for some reason, I think we did. I I don't remember.
1: I I guess I have a pretty familiar looking type of face, I guess.
0: Well, your name is super familiar. So I just hope, you know, a lot of people are able to make it and I think it'll be great.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us for the show, Linda. Um, it'll be exciting to meet in person. Yeah. Um, Congrats with all the success so far with the broker list and thank you. wishing you nothing but the best and we'll talk to you soon.
0: Yeah, thank you.
1: All right. Take care. John, welcome to the Fully Occupied Show. Thanks for being a guest.
4: Matt, thanks so much for having me on. I'm glad to be here today. I'm very excited about a CREI Summit and 2021 and having 2020 in the rearview window. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we're
1: three quarters of the way through 2021 already, and we're still not out of the dark, but we're almost right. <laughs> <Yeah>. That's right. <laughs> well, yeah. Also, yeah, excited to see us in Lake Tahoe, and if it's for the CREI Summit, uh, it seems it's shaping up to be an awesome crowd. And uh, I know a lot of like-minded people will be out there uh, chatting it up. To hopefully, kind of turn it into a, a 2022 party for the commercial real estate industry here.
4: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, it's it's. Interesting. And, uh, you know, as the Carolina Retail Experts, we focus on creating long-term value for owners of retail commercial real estate. We represent retailers who are best in class, and we also represent investors, buyers, or sellers with their, you know, investment properties, everything from single tenant net lease to shopping center trades. So we're very, very active across the board on the landlord side, the tenant side, and the investor side. So it's been interesting what we've seen, you know, in the last 18 months, of course, with the slowdown and everything that happened with COVID. And I would go on to say that, you know, our headquarters are in Charleston, South Carolina. So we work throughout South Carolina, we get into North Carolina, we get into Georgia. So with the uh, institutional landlord business, you know, we represent uh, most of the REITs throughout the territory. And what we've seen is, you know, many people expected a uh, change in attitude, but These shopping centers are, by and large, there are not super deals. You know, everyone's talking about, oh, we want to be able to pick it up on the cheap. Well, A lot of these shopping centers are grocery anchored or, you know, in in some cases, power center anchored. And with a few exceptions, you know, of course, Steinmark went bankrupt and things like that. We actually had tenants prepared to take those spaces over because you know the Harris Teeters, the Publix, the grocery anchored uh, spaces, we were pretty well leased prior to COVID and even through COVID with a few exceptions I mean and you know Steinmark being one that of course went bankrupt and went out of business. What we've seen is a lot of this product we haven't seen rents drop uh, or mm-hmm. frankly demand drop. We've We've seen quite the opposite in some cases You know, we've even had situations where in order to create a better piece of retail real estate, you know, we have uh, taken, say, a 4,000 foot space, converted it into a 2,000 square foot space with outdoor area or drive through, you know, and all the restaurant operators are, you know, the holy grail of retail real estate now is drive-through and outdoor space. And so, so we've had a great deal of success with that. And in a lot of cases, the, the rents are at or even above some of the pre-COVID levels. So we've we've seen uh, some great traction, you know, coming out of COVID uh, and, you know, heading into 2021. Um you know, one of the big challenges that we hear from almost all of the occupiers, you know on the tenant side is the challenges around staffing. Um, yeah. it's it's been a real been a real problem to be able to find the labor force that you need. And so even though a lot of the restaurants, for example, are not restricted on days or times that they can open until, uh, several are, you know, running on reduced hours, you know, they'll close, say, Sunday and Monday, where normally they would be open all seven days, because they they have good people. And in order to keep those good people, they're really, they're really focused on uh, trying to and not you know, overwork them, right? Not
1: work. well at
3: the
4: Yeah, that's right. Create a great, great uh, situation for for the employee as well as the employer. So Uh, So we're seeing that, of course, you know, the uh, hourly rate uh, for labor seems to be creeping up. You know, we we don't hire those hourly workers, but, you know, we talk about the minimum, you know, national minimum wage and all those things, I believe or what it seems like that I'm hearing from a lot of the, the businesses is that in order to get the best quality Employees, they have to increase their wage, and when they do, they they get those people that you know that work. They show up. They're dependable. They're professional, and so so we're seeing a um, seeing the wages creep up as well. You know, along those lines. Um, yeah. So, so the restaurant world
1: isn't so much. Uh, you know, it's not so much stores were shutting down because they couldn't sell. Their, their goods and their foods during COVID, it was more, you know, the, the rebound was, is, is slowed because of the, the um, labor shortages. And so from a, re- from a real estate perspective, probably makes sense why rents have held, right? Because the, 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 the restaurants need to stay open. They need to continue doing business. And they have to get creative in terms of you know the space types and the lease structures and stuff but it's not like it's a, been a complete sell-off of, of, of that type of space
4: that's exactly right and you know and and you know there were a lot of restaurants in the carolinas and the southeast and frankly across the whole country who and and other retailers not just restaurants that didn't make it didn't come out uh past COVID. And what we've what we've really discovered is that the majority of those retailers who were unable or for whatever reason didn't reopen, they probably weren't going to make it to the end of the year 2020 in February without COVID. You know, they they had a poor business model, they, you know, were undercapitalized, they had poor sales. They did not provide what we uh, preaches the retail experience that the customer demands you know and and we've seen a lot of these uh, retailers the ones who have really thrived during this is for example Starbucks is one of the tenants we represent in full disclosure Starbucks has been incredibly busy and in opening stores and a lot of it is due in large part to the Starbucks app I mean you can order on your phone or wherever and you can swing by and you can pick it up either in the drive through or but at the store uh and and we're seeing more and more uh chipotle is another one that we that we've seen you know uh it's not exactly a a, a drive through there's not a menu board where you order but you order on the app and you pick up your your chipotle order
0: without having minutes. to get out of your car right
4: yeah without ever you know touchless touchless uh, and and we've seen a lot more. Uh, f- we've heard about omni-channel marketing uh, for years and years and years. Of course, Amazon does does a great job, and they flirt in the brick-and-mortar space with grocery and with other concepts throughout the years. But we've seen more and more uh, non-traditional e-tailers coming in, and you know, going and developing a digital strategy, an online strategy. And we've seen online retailers who who historically uh, exclusively digital retailers like Warby Parker, they've opened up uh, brick and mortar stores. And, you know, what we've determined is that you really, it's very, very hard to survive on either just digital or just brick and mortar. You know, you really have to, in order to create the the correct customer experience to thrive and grow, you really need to attack it from, you know, from an omnichannel perspective, brick and mortar, as well as digital, you know, an app you can order from and all those sort of things where we've seen uh, tremendous strides in that. And, and as a result of all those things, the 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 occupancy rates are pretty close to the pre-COVID levels. Um, yeah, King, King Street in Charleston, which is one of our high street retail streets, that's you know where your your uh, who's who of retailers are are located. Uh, there were uh, probably seventeen vacancies in late 2020, and as you know, September of 21, I think that we're down to three or maybe four. So so we're seeing those vacancies fill up we're seeing, you know, the the rents have held pretty pretty constant. The tenants that are coming in, you know, for example, Love Shack Fancy out of New York is in the process of opening a store on King Street. We represented them locally and we just can't be more excited about, you know, the about them getting open. And it's the first store that they're doing in South Carolina. And so we're very excited. We see a lot of that. There are several other retailers I can't really disclose yet, but who are in the same uh, situation, you know, exploring Charleston, exploring new markets, uh, and so we're we see we see the the status of retail uh, as incredibly strong right now, and we expect that to continue well into next year, um, just based on the. The, the appetite that we have, that we've seen from the retailers uh, going forward, so.
1: Yeah, I mean, the fact that they've, they've been, at least in your neck of the woods, have been resilient and, you know, you have this kind of wave of digital first companies coming into the market, knowing that they need to get to brick and mortar, um, you know, customers as well. Seems like there's some good, um, you know, solid foundation for that, that market to just keep going strong.
4: It really is. And, you know, as far as opening, opening new stores in uh, from a new development standpoint, one of the bigger challenges that we're that we're seeing on the build to suit side with uh, you know, Starbucks or, or any of the other tenants is there the challenges and, and with the landlords in renovations and expansions of, of current shopping centers is the supply chain for materials. I mean, everybody remembers that, you know, plywood went from $6 a sheet to $56 a sheet or whatever ridiculous, you know, talked to someone last week who said that red iron, that that the steel for a building was somewhere on the order of 27 weeks out from, from the time they order, which typically that's four weeks. So, you know that's been one of the real real big challenges that's affected the the ability to execute and deliver some of these new new locations one of the other things that that drives is is you've seen the investment sales side you know there there's a lot of money on the sideline and it seems as if everyone has 50 million dollars in cash to buy a shopping center And but the challenge is, you know, they've got to place this money, but there's not a real, and and so that appetite for investment doesn't really lend itself to deals, as people say, on you know buying. You know, probably get three calls a week from someone looking for a value add shopping center. They really very few and far between. You know, I mean, I understand the idea but the but the challenge with the materials and the ability to deliver that new shopping center or that new single tenant net lease project is you know constrained by the cost of goods cost of building materials and in turn they they creep the rents up interest rates are very low which are great there are a lot of 1031s out there and i know there's you know without getting too political i know that the 1031 environment could have some, uh, you know, some legislative changes that are that are proposed or on the table that will certainly could lead us one one way or the other, and may you know really um, change the the way people think about 1031 exchanges and think about trades and you know purchases. But the good news is that interest rates rates are at a historical low. So you know the the old adage of you know the best time to buy commercial real estate was 20 years ago. Second best time to buy it is today. So um, so we're seeing a lot of activity on the investment side, and uh, you know the the occupancies are high, and many many of these shopping centers and the tenants seem to be doing well. Sales are in, you know, in a lot of cases are at above pre-COVID levels. So, you know, it's, it's all about the retailer providing that great retail experience for the customer and the customer will continue to shop there and patronize them. And so that in turn, uh, you know, is, even though it's not a partnership with the landlord, the landlord is involved because it's important that the property overall, not just, you know, the individual store, but the entire shopping center is landscaped well, it's, you know, clean, the trash is picked up, there's great signage, you know, those, those sort of things we're seeing reinvestment from, from the uh, owners into maintenance, uh, to really make sure that theirs is the shopping center that those best in class retailers need to be in to, to really adapt and, and grow and, you know, as they pivot and work on solutions for their business, you know, to carry them through the next five and 10 years. So it's been very interesting to, to be a part of that. Yeah. Sounds like there's
1: a lot of stuff going on, a lot of, a lot of factors that are, uh, you know all moving kind of in different directions it'll be interesting to see how it plays out over the next uh, few years but john thanks for joining us this has been great hearing your perspective on the uh, absolutely on the retail world in general on the carolina's retail market um you know really look forward to seeing you
4: in person i can't wait to see you at craxing and um, by the way for everyone you can find me on our website is cre.expert or Carolinaretailexperts.com. And I am on all the social media channels at John or CCIM, that's J-O-H-N-O-R-R-C-C-I-M. And just reach out, shoot me a message, a DM or an email or a text or a call or anything. I'm glad to, to uh, talk retail because I love this stuff. We live for it.
1: Live for it. All right, John, <laughs> thanks a lot. Thanks, Matt. We'll see you in Toronto. All right, later.